this month on Trek Mary Kill, Zombies, Ferengi, Jamaharon. Next! I can't believe it! This is the greatest ship I've ever seen! Hey, you! Bring girl! Pump this! Don't pass out! Sorry, sorry. I'm good at exploring strange new worlds and solving space mysteries. Let's see what I got assigned. Holodeck waste removal. That's Klingon prison stuff. Oh! 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 Ensign, do you see a captain's chair in your future? I hope so, ma'am. Hey, if I part my hair like this, do I look more promotable or less? The Cerritos might be falling apart, but that's our job to keep it together. Ensign, you are a natural-born warrior. Okie dokie. And we're here? No, we're actually way down here. Keep it moving, Lower Decks. Next! My senior staff are always up for a challenge. Nothing like a cold beer after a smooth second contact. Now that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah! It is better down here where the real action is. We're gonna serve side by side. An elite team. We're not really elite. We're more like the cool, scrappy underdogs. We are so getting fired for this. Attention all decks. Lives are at stake, but our crew is ready and focused. Ooh, this is the new shuttle with the blast shield. It's a blast Stop shield, it. nope. it's a blast it shield. Works. And yeah, it comes it down okay. and it goes up. Blast it. shield! We live on a spaceship. Oh. Nobody is dying from a spear wound. <laughs> Hang in there, you got this. Oh. Oh. Space, the funnest frontier? Long-range sensors have located a very sexy... <gasps> No, definitely yes, no, no, no to this, so and this. also that. Yes. Oh, you almost phasered me. Calm down. It's set to uh, it was it was set to stun. Trek, Mary, kill. Hi, I'm Brian. Hi, I'm Katie. Welcome to Trek, Mary Kill, a Star Trek podcast covered in slime that could save us all. Happy New Year 2024, the year when, according to Star Trek, we can expect Irish reunification. That sounds good. But also mm-hmm. the Bell Riots. Not so not so good. So will it be a good or bad year? Who's to say what is good is my guest co-host, one of our most requested return guests. She's an actor and comedian who last appeared on our episode for Star Trek Picard season three's Surrender. It's Katie Hampton. Katie Hampton, welcome back. Thank you so much for having me back. I'm so excited that we're doing this. The animated series we started doing, we did the first four, and now we're doing Lower Decks, and I, you were the first person I thought of. Really, the only person I thought of. It's your favorite Star Trek show, right, Katie? It is my favorite Star Trek show. Mostly, okay, so I grew up on Next Generation. Um, it was really my mom's show, Next Generation, and that's what I know from the nostalgia. But this show is like my adult like obsession for animation because they reference so much. It takes place a little bit after Next Gen, um, and they have just so many incredible references that that it made me more of a Star Trek fan. That's great. I mean, I just reference humor for me. Just <laughs> that's always my starting point of like, where, what are we getting at here? But yeah. your experience is sort of like what the consensus is for people who love the show. Now, this is how much people in my mind, in my social media experience, love this show. I've had to mute the hashtag. 
on my primary on my primary feeds that I that I use at my day to day. Like Trek Mary Kill has its own feed, and I that's fine. It's a weapons free at any Star Trek that's all all comers. <laughs> but for like my own, or I'm like, what's going on in the news, or with my friends, or whatever. And it's like lower decks is just like too much. It's like okay. Really? <laughs> like I like Star Trek too. Uh, I like Star Trek very much, and so but the, it was like becoming overwhelmed since the beginning. It's been the case. So I think the people who really like the show really really love it, and that's amazing. That's exactly what you want when a new Star Trek show comes in uh, to play. Now I have a, another question for you about because I asked if it's your favorite show, but do you think or do you consider in your mind? There's no wrong answer here. I just I'm curious. A cartoon okay. or an animated Star Trek? It's an animated Star Trek. And you know what? We'll get into it further on when we talk okay. about more episodes. <laughs> but my goodness, the arc on this show is a full Star Trek arc. Like, it's incredible. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a good... I think there's arguments to be made on either side of the equation of like where... It, maybe the, the thing is that the show really is a mix of the two because there's certainly very heavy cartoony elements. But yes, in spirit, for sure, there is a it's very much like the animated series from 1973. Like, no, no, right. this is just Star Trek that's animated, but it is not like explicitly a cartoon. Yeah. And, it, you know, it, it is it is a faster paced show than the animated series was. That's for sure, <laughs> <laughs> because that but one of my favorite things that sort of just explains away that happens in their live action show where they're like, they talk a lot slower than we do. <laughs> and it's so true. It's this is definitely the style of animation that is current and up to date right now. So yes, you're not going to have your, your dredging stories that, you know, you take a lot of time seeing people exchange glances and things like that. No, you're, you're going to get some breakneck speed, especially breakneck speed jokes when it comes to Star Trek, anything that you found like odd or kind of funny or whatever in next gen or even in deep space nine, they have a ton of jokes just buried throughout all of these episodes for that. And then they will do the Star Trek moment where you'll just get quiet nods of respect yes. <laughs> or like signaling something. So they will do the 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 more, I guess, iconic poses or things right. that are like clearly communicate. So that's fantastic. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit. Just again, we this is this is Trek Mary Kill's original sin. I have apologized. We did not fold in Lower Decks and Prodigy and the animated series when we started out. Uh for various reasons, mainly there are 930 episodes of Star Trek, which I don't know, oh. that sounds like a lot to me, but <laughs> but in, we did all the pilots except for the animated ones. So now we're doing them. And so just a little background, like how did this show get started? It was created by Mike McMahon. Uh, he rose to Star Trek prominence via Twitter with his mm -hmm. TNG season eight account that he had. Um, and he would eventually go on to become a writer for Rick and Morty. I think he was also then not a showrunner. He was the executive producer of Solar Opposites, which was uh, from the same Rick and Morty co-creator. Um, and then he moved on. He pitched this show to uh, Alex Kurtzman, who I just want to read Alex Kurtzman's. Wh why is there an animated show in the vein of Rick and Morty? Is, is where this is coming from. Why are we doing this? What's happening? So Alex Kurtzman explained uh, back in... 2021 to the pod directive, which is hosted by co-hosted by Tony Newsom, who I love and we'll talk about in a moment. Uh, mm -hmm. But uh, he offered his view of why Star Trek matters now more than ever. 
He talked about his approach to building out the Star Trek universe. You're, you know, it's 2024 now, Katie. You remember that just a couple of years ago, there was this thing called Peak TV. And like uh-huh. every everyone had a streaming network. You had a streaming streamer, right? I had a streamer. Like yeah, everyone we, had their own streaming platform. Yeah, they called it sassy.net. <laughs> <laughs> Mine was Murflix. And uh, oh. there was five, five subscribers. And apparently none of them outside of my home. But anyway, no, oh. everyone had a streaming platform. Uh, money was cheap. Interest rates were non-existent. Oh, those were the days. And every content creator which really means studio, any old dinosaur legacy media company was like, we got to have a streamer. Mm -hmm. So, and it was in that spirit that they started hiring, uh, giving out all these mega deals to these uh, hyphenates, writer, producer types. You got your Ryan Murphy's, your Shonda Rhimes. Those are like the famous ones, Netflix poaching them from, I think it was Fox for Ryan Murphy and it was, yeah, 20th century. And then Shonda from ABC. And they were basically like, come make your shows for us. And then uh, all these streamers were like, well, we want one brain to oversee like an umbrella, like, and have projects under this umbrella. So Alex Kurtzman. And so it was <laughs> in that spirit. He's like, we need every kind of Star Trek. And he told Tony Newsom on the pod directive. I think that some of the Star Trek shows are roller coaster rides. Some of them are more meditative. Some of them are hilarious. Some of them are interesting explorations of the state of humanity. I, I don't know an Alex Kurtzman impression, so I'm not doing one. Uh, <laughs> okay. And some of them are just about the pure joy of seeing the world through the eyes of children. Our universe wants to be different color crayons in the same box. There's a common thread between all of these things. But if all the shows are the same, we're failing, right? And then he finishes. My hope is that the sort of misnomer that Star Trek is only for people who know Trek. The whole point is, yes, of course, it's for those people first and foremost. But it's also for people who have never seen it and don't know anything about it. Because if we don't also get those people in, then 10 years from now, 20 years from now, we're not going to have new generations of Star Trek fans. That is correct. He is correct Mm -hmm. in that assessment. Now. Brian, time for Brian's opinion, which used to be on Murflix. You used to just have an opinion corner. But <laughs> just that, that, that whole, was yeah, that that's whole a, show. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Truck so and track. Tra- tra- yes. <laughs> so to me, maybe this is because it was born out of Nera it was made. You you had Deep Space Nine and Voyager concurrently or uh, TNG and DS9. So you did have some overlap. That That's sure. That did happen once. <laughs> but for the most part, Star Trek shows used to run like 26 episodes right Mm -hmm. so they would every season of star trek in the old days would be everything they were basically an an anthology show but the the characters recurred but the ideas you have a boxing episode one week a time travel episode the next week and these would like back up back to back i mean the episode the two-parter where picard is captured and then tortured so the enterprise Mm gets a new captain. And then the second episode, their old captain is being tortured half mm. to death. The next episode after that is up oh, Moriarty escaped from the holodeck. You know what I mean? So it's like, it, it was very, it was, a, it skewed all genres, which yes. I thought is so interesting for not only a sci-fi show, but like a live action sci-fi show. So it like this sort of genre switching makes a little bit more sense when it comes to lower decks and sort of the animated stuff because you could have a straight up comedy or you could have a downright dour like really deep episode or you could have Q just fucking around because <laughs> yeah. that's what always happens. 
Well, the thing is, is like in my mind, when someone tells me reports back to me, like I'm running Star Trek and this is my assessment of Star Trek. It makes me feel like I'm, I was like, wow, I don't have any tether to reality because to me, it seemed like Star Trek always was pliable in the Mm -hmm. way that it's being suggested. All that said, we're talking about lower decks. We get the idea from Lower Decks because Mike McMahon's he's, you know, people know he's a geek writer and he's done Rick and Morty, which is mm-hmm. a very glib, but awesome and fast paced take on all the science fiction tropes animation. That's for, you know, not a not strictly for adults, to be clear. Rick and Morty, that kid that freaked out about the Szechuan sauce, that was like a 16 year old kid, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, some things they're referencing with the writer likes. That's true. Yeah. Yes, but I mean, like Rick and Morty is the South Park of the 21st century. So it's like it right. covers a, a generation. Yeah, but it basically bringing the, those all in, try to capture the adult swim uh, market a little bit or draw them into Star Trek a little bit. That's all really cool. And so that brings me into this larger point about Star Trek can be anything. What what you just said about Lower Decks. Lower Decks is very much in the spirit of Star Trek because each episode can be cartoonish and serious. Or mm-hmm. it can do different genres. Or even within the episode, do different uh, phases. We're going to talk about two episodes today. And the second episode has like a cold open that in other Star Trek series would have been the whole episode. And it's it's pretty great how they just dispense with within the cold open. So stuff like that, that is the magic of animation basically. Now, Mike McMahon, comedy writer as well. Uh, He's like, I think he's a Chicago guy. Do you have any Mm. experience with these Chicago comedian people? (laughs) Yes, they are wonderful. And they are (laughs) rampant out in LA because they're all trying to get work, which totally makes sense. Um, Dude, every good improviser sketch artist usually comes from Chicago, you know, except for myself, but there's so many of these comedians that are um, out here. And I actually, I would consider a lot of the cast, especially of lower decks um, from what I call the Scott Ackerman type era. (laughs) Those of you who might be comedy bang bang fans, they used to have a streaming service called CISO that had bajillion dollar properties. It had a whole bunch of like different comedies of the sort of Scott Ackerman era. And a lot of these comedians and a lot of these voices that you hear on the show are, are coming from this group, AKA Eugene Cordero, Tawny Newsom, Paul F. Tompkins, like, this is just littered with really great sketch and improv comedians that um, if you see any of their work, it kind of blows your mind how quick they can be. <laughs> I remember. So, yes, along those lines, when I first moved out to L.A., which was a very long time ago now, it mm-hmm. was it was before multiple outlets and it's still hard. Everyone has to work for, like the people that you see now or they're new to you or the like. They've been around for a little bit. They've been around even longer than you think. They've been working Mm -hmm. at this a lot harder than you think. But like, I can definitely remember seeing Jack McBrayer doing stage shows long before 30 Rock and going like, why isn't he like in everything? And then he was in everything and it all it all worked out. So like stuff like that, it just takes time. The same thing with me with Darcy Carden, because I saw her performing all over UCB and then she pops up in The Good Place and I was like, oh, thank goodness. Someone can see how great and hilarious she is because these are really incredible comedians. 
I think actually like it was Jack McBrayer and Scott Adsit. I'd see them and like, well, they're oh. so fun. And then they just put them in the same show. I'm like, great. That was an elegant oh, solution yeah. to the wire. No, why is no one casting them? So, <laughs> so true. So true. Yeah. But yeah, Darcy Carden, again, same great point, which now leads us right into Tawny Newsome. Uh, oh, what a queen. Are, are, yes, she's a queen. She's going to, she's in the Starfleet Academy writer's yes. room. She's going to be the canon cop there, which I don't think all cops are bad. You don't have to be a cop, Tawny, in the writer's room. <laughs> so ACAB means writer's room uh, canonistas, okay? So just, <laughs> but anyway, all, I, all I'm getting at is I, I actually adore her and I think she's amazing and I'm glad she's involved in Star Trek so prominently. It's like a dream come true. But she and I are technically geographical rivals. What? So we are from the same county. And she Ooh. is from the snootier part of the county. She may deny it, Ooh. but she is from Vacaville. And Vacaville which literally is means Cowton. Yeah. But they are, they are the, um, they're the bougier ones. That's so funny. We had that in Arizona. And it, so I was from Phoenix, uh, South Phoenix. And then there was a place called Scottsdale, but we all called it Snotsdale. Um, <laughs> boom take boom. that <laughs> take that spring Buckle training that. complexes <laughs> yeah. oh. and we're very much we're very close in age so she and i were probably watching star trek on the same fox 40 broadcast <laughs> like there's all stuff so it's like great i'm glad one of us got to like was so enchanted by star trek at the same age and one of us tried and one of us was actually talented and tried and made it <laughs> and, and is doing it. So it's like, good for her. Congrats. She's very funny. Also, like you said, she was in bajillion dollar properties, yep. right? So yeah. she's, she's all tied into this as well. And, um, and, and it's pretty amazing that she's, uh, there's a deep space nine episode later in the show. Spoiler alert. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're not gonna, um, but, but watch it. Y'all watch it. There's an uh, there's an interview that Mike McMahon did, and I while I was doing some research, I was reading it, and he's like, you know, there should be or there is a Star Trek for everybody, and he like lists like, you know, I like Next Generation and Voyager and even some Enterprise, and then it was just funny he omitted Deep Space Nine because then I remember the Deep Space Nine episode interview stuff where Tony Newsom was like, you have to like do this. Why aren't you doing that? It's like, she's like, Oh, you don't actually know deep space. I do. (laughs) So that was, that was a, that was a cool uh, tie in there, but uh, she's fantastic as Mary. Apparently she has like, she's checked a lot of people on a lot of things because she's such a deep seated fan that she's like, Oh, if you don't make this joke, you're totally wasting this opportunity. Um, And because of that, that's why apparently she's going to be on the writing staff for Star Trek Academy. And what better reason to have such a great Star Trek nerd who is hilarious to be one of the writers? (laughs) Absolutely. And I have a feeling that she is a Star Trek uh, encyclopedia or canon cop in the way that I am, which well. (laughs) Well, I'm not a good improviser, but she's a great improviser. But the key to acting and improvising, all that is listening, right? So like yes. listening is being present in the moment. And so but for me, I'm like, if I'm just having a conversation about Star Trek and I'm not thinking about what I'm going to say next or what I'm, I'm not assessing or judging or being mean about what the person's saying, it'll just be like, you're listening and then you'll just hear something. You go, up, oh, nope. <laughs> it's just this is like a reflex. She's like, she doesn't, you know, she probably doesn't even mean to do it. She's like, nope, it's not that. 
do that. <laughs> go back. And go back. I can just see it. Yep. That is uh, not be- how you switch your phaser. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, so I just think she's delightful. So, you know, the show started off in good hands. And, and you know, whatever people want to say about Alex Kurtzman, and there's certainly you can just look at certain things and say, be critical of this. You could say, does he know anything about Star Trek? Uh, I'm sure he does now. But I just I always think about this. I'm like, well, at the time, he, there was a point in time where he didn't. One of those times being when he was writing Star Trek. He very famously mm. was the one who pitched in Star Trek Into Darkness. Why does the Enterprise just sit at the bottom of the ocean? <laughs> Everyone was like, well, it's a spaceship, Whoa. Alex. And he's like, so it'd be cooler if it came out of, up out of the water. And so then that's what they did. So, you know, oh. it's like, whatever. But it, my point is, is like he uh, he has to manage an entire IP, a franchise. And I think giving uh, one of these shows to someone who actually had a firm grasp and had a vision for what they wanted to do was a good thing. And I think that the, all these things between Mike McMahon, the the management decision to hire Mike McMahon and let him do his thing. Tawny Newsom being brought aboard. And I don't actually know. Do you know how they met up? She didn't just straight audition, did she? I have no idea. I guarantee you that on most of the shows that she was on. So like, things like Murderville or, you know, um, or bajillion dollar properties, any of the like comedy things, I guarantee she was talking nonstop about Star Trek or something like that, because I I've heard (laughs) interviews with her where she's sort of checked people on like, like just in passing, like talk of of like, Oh wait, well it's more like this. Um, and the girl is so funny that I I have no I don't actually know how they met all met up but um I can tell if she did audition she crushed it. Well, I, it's got to be either like you know who you should hire, Mike. Yeah, is my friend Tawny or Tawny who I worked with, or it could have gone, Mike. You know who you have to hire just so she'll shut up. You got to hire. Tawny. I mean, that, I feel like either that's way. really what it was. <laughs> I really do feel like that. That's what it was. And- <laughs> And I'm like, that gives me such nerdy hope in my own career <laughs> that I'm like, all right, if I talk about The Legend of Zelda enough, I'm like, yeah. maybe. Yes, there is a movie coming out. That's true. I know. <laughs> On Netflix. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm so glad it got off of your streaming platform. No offense, but it that's did. good. It's yeah. going to get it well, broader. I had the More original 80s yeah. one where <laughs> Link was a total douchebag. <laughs> <laughs> how many times do you think they're going to let him say well excuse, excuse me, me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, if they don't put it in at least once i am writing a letter to all their managers and then i'm cutting my hair really short into a weird bob <laughs> to go with it <laughs> i really think that what it needs to do just to get right out in front of it is when the trailer drops it's got to be over black and you hear that stupid piano note and then yes. in an echoey voice, well, excuse me, princess, <laughs> that just started with the, the promo with that. And then all everyone's happy. So. Yep. And then and then layer in the background too. Link, be careful. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We all right. Th- we've got this on lock. All right. We're going to talk about <laughs> two episodes this week or this month. Uh, the first up is Second Contact, which debuted on Paramount Plus August 6, 2020. Oh my gosh. Was 2020 a real year? No, it wasn't. Uh, That was a complete blur. And I, (laughs) I've watched this series so many times that I'm still like, did that happen? Or did I just, 
pretend that I watched that because everything is such a fuzz. I know that this was a total joy within 2020 um, and it was so unexpected and not at all the caliber I was thinking it was going to be at. Um, but I keep having to go back and rewatch it because it's just so enjoyable. Uh, the episode was written by Mike McMahon, directed by Barry J. Kelly. Memory Alpha describes it. Ensign Tendi has her first day of work on Starfleet's USS Cerritos, where she meets three fellow support crew members, Ensign's Mariner, Boimler, and Rutherford. Meanwhile, Boimler is tasked with a secret special assignment, and Rutherford attempts to keep his dating life intact while an outbreak strikes the ship. So there's a lot of incident in this episode. I, you know what? I need to say it right up front. As a as a native Californian, well, you mm-hmm. know, I was born in California. Let's just say, <laughs> not a native Cal. I'm not an indigenous person. I, well, I was born, but <laughs> having the Cerritos be a California class ship and everything being tied to that, I'm like, that's fine, good. That's a way to way to scratch a niche I didn't even know was there. That's great. And uh, what is the one thing that you think of when you hear the Cerritos? Auto Square. <laughs> yes, 100%. Because there's that commercial that played nonstop right. on TV, on radio. And it was just like Cerritos Auto Parts or Auto Square. I don't know. Yeah. Cerritos Auto Square. That's yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. It was like it was drilled into our brains. So the fact that it was the Cerritos and it there, and this is also jumping ahead, but when they have like a whole instance where they have to bring in all of the California class ships. And they start they start listing them off like the Azusa or the Sherman Oaks. <laughs> I'm like, I want little mini figures of these ships. I just want little California class ships that have these different cities that are very off the beaten path, not even main LA, but like sort of those things that you you pass through. <laughs> well, Tawny Newsom also born in California, you know, from Vacaville, California. So if you uh-huh. keep your ears out for that um, when that pops up. Uh, let's see here. All right. So uh, do you have any like specific thoughts or the, about this episode that doesn't fit in any of our grades before we get into it? I just have a couple of quick notes. But Sure. Um, I think it's I think this episode is a really great way to introduce you not only as a Star Trek fan, but as a new fan to the series, because it's just pure madness from start to finish. But you see exactly how Starfleet would deal with sort of a ridiculous scenario as this. And the the biggest thing I, that I feel like Star Trek has that I, I think this show has really hit, hit on the head is sort of the positive progression where everything like has a solution if you just work together, if you just figure out the puzzle. Um, and this is a huge part of it as well. Like um, Rutherford's on a date and then the entire ship gets taken over by this insane alien goo thing that's kind of making everybody go crazy. Someone's trying to get drunk, you know, like everything is so nuts, but it all comes to a, a beautiful conclusion at the end, which I think is just core of Star Trek as a whole. So from memory, Alpha picked a, a couple of notes, Lower Decks and this episode specifically. So Lower Decks, the show, and then Second contact specifically marks some franchise firsts. It's the first time profanity is bleeped. Yes. Which for comedy, anyone who writes comedy, bleeps are actually funnier than swears. So that's one of the main reasons. Yeah. That's why and we only cheaper. bleep F words. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, on our podcast, we, we could just let it go since we're explicit, but it's funnier. 
If you're you, gonna anyway. have so many bleeps on me. I'm so sorry. Let them fucking rip. Let's do. <laughs> uh, it's the first time that two Star Trek series have premiered in the same calendar year. Although again, does 2020 count? But it was Star Trek Picard premiered in January, and then this. We don't have to August. count the first season of that either. No, um, <laughs> we have not officially killed all season one of Star Trek Picard. By the way, which oh. is like a it's like a torture scenario for me, I think. But like Star Trek Picard season two, we killed the whole thing. We just like don't all of them are all ten kills. But anyway, um, I mean, it makes sense. Makes sense. <laughs> Uh, it is interesting to know just, I guess, August 6th. So this is like the summer of the George Floyd protests. Oh, We're in God, lockdown. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. premiering at like the most fraught time. I mean, not since Star Trek, the original series premiered its third season in, you know, 1968. You know, that was like not doing anything, twiddling our thumbs, just staring at the box in front of us. Yes. You could say when the world is at its its uh, most serious, Star Trek becomes its silliest because Ooh. season Ooh. three of the original series was pretty silly. But that's true. Uh, and the other thing that's that's not actually a, a memory alpha note, but it's just for me. This is the first show to canonize the existence of Captain Kirk's best friend before Spock, Gary Mitchell. Like, ooh. Th- the original series never does that. Gary Mitchell doesn't get mentioned in any other context, even in the, you know, in, in other episodes of the original series and of the movies. None of the other shows do that, you know, even like wink, wink, look who we know. So like mm-hmm. if we're assuming Lower Decks is canon, here's a, someone referencing some a character from canon for the first time in, you know, 65 years or sorry, That's 56 incredible. years, a very long yeah. time. Um, and then I just, I don't know if you noticed this, uh, and this is too early, but later on in the show, in season four, they introduce a Vulcan character listener uh, named Talyn. And she, one of her defining features is she wears a blue headband, mm-hmm. which is similar to Valeris. It's just matching her blue uniform. I don't know if you noticed this, but when Boimler first goes to the Bridge of the Cerritos in this episode, one of the first people off the turbo lift is a woman in a blue headband. No so way. Like, I didn't notice that. Oh, so okay. Like, they just used that design and put pointy ears on her, it looks like. And that became Talyn. Or you could say Talyn's in the first episode. And that's... It <laughs> that is interesting. Just... <laughs> well, and, you know, the, the most recent season, they, they do a lot of weaving of different characters that you do randomly see throughout the series. But they it, it's sort of like that episode of Next Generation where they follow the lower decks crew um mm-hmm. but they they scatter that throughout the whole thing so you know you never know like some of those characters might have been buried in there oh, I, I really have to go back and rewatch all of this more in depth <laughs> so well, i think Talyn like came well i don't like know that they like layered her in i just from a design standpoint i'm like that is sure. basically the same same design so i just thought that was interesting just wanted to point it out no, had no other area where to point it out so all right <laughs> okay, you can tell it's good podcasting when we're finally getting to our format 30 minutes in but i, I <laughs> Had to set up the show. It's an important show. Couldn't not set it up. All right. So great moments. We're not doing scenes in the, these animated spotlights because sometimes they're too short and maybe you just want to grab a part of a scene, whatever. But Katie, go first. Uh, great. Name some great moments from this episode. Oh, there are a ton. Um, I have to say this cold open was the thing that 
sold me on it. Um, it's a, uh, Beckett Mariner, who is one of the main characters, and Bradward Boimler. And, you know, Bradward's kind of doing the very stereotypical ensign log and then it shows up as um <laughs> beckett mirror comes in and busts in and is like are you doing a log like what are you doing like this is so ridiculous um and then she's got all these like different tools and weapons and things like that <laughs> and then he, he just gets speared look i'm already i'm explaining the scene as <laughs> it is and i know that's not what we're supposed to be doing you- but- you like when someone's carotid artery almost gets chopped. You like when the uh-huh. inner thigh gets chopped. <laughs> I think it's hilarious, mainly because my cat does it to me all the time. No, it just it's just a perfect setup of just how ridiculous and wild this world is and how much the Lower Decks crew kind of gets the brunt of it. And one of the things that my husband pointed out to me in the first season that you don't you don't really see until like a couple episodes in, but you get a bit throughout this entire first episode is that the lower decks will have all this insane stuff happen to them, but the like higher ups, the, you know, bridge crew and all that don't always explain what exactly is going on. (laughs) And sometimes you're a part of it. Sometimes you're not. And seeing that chaos play out, especially all over the ship and on uh, the alien planet is so much fun because it's just like what job have you not been at where the higher ups didn't explain to you exactly what's going on but you have to now put out fires everywhere yeah literally they beam back from the planet and there's a zombie outbreak and they're beaming right into the last safe haven where the doors are being boarded up and that was and they're they're not Nothing is explained to them. No, (laughs) nothing is ever explained to them. Uh, For me, the first real moment that really got my attention that I enjoyed was uh, they're trying to get Tendi to try out the holodeck, which yes. goes in, which goes <laughs> into my personal belief that everyone's on safe ground, solid ground, Star Trek writing, writing wise. If they're like the holodeck is mainly to prevent space madness. And it was mm-hmm. put in starships so that on long space cruises, people could go somewhere that they didn't feel like they were on a ship and then not go insane. And that's that's it. So it's like you can't you can maybe go to space stations and they're there. And but it's like it's not a common thing on planets is what I was getting at. So because right. and, and this one, they treat it like that, where it's Timmy's like, oh, I've never used the holodeck or whatever. Uh, right. But I love that Boimler's choice is to see the the warp core of the Cerritos <laughs> because he loves it so much. It's He's so attached to it. That's like his first thing. Like that's the only thing he can think of. The <laughs> coolest place. To... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is also kind of right where they're like bunked too. <laughs> like they're right, right next right. to the... <laughs> It's like he couldn't go by the warp core. Exactly. Um, and I, I liked the sequence where they are trying to fend off or get away from the spider creature. And they right. and Mariners like, let's take off our clothes and and basically make scarecrows for it to, to chase after. Uh, and, and then, then Mariner just... Mariner jumps on it, tries to wrangle it. And then she tells Boimler to come with her. And instead he gets swallowed up. You know, there's that initial fear. Oh, great. Uh, one of these lead characters is now dead. But then he just gets suckled. On th- and all the spider really need is to just suck on his naked body for a little bit (laughs) uh just a purely funny ridiculous sequence that it's like this is the heightened reality that they could easily do because it's animated or more easily do because it's still Mm -hmm. folks it's still there's still money involved with animating 
assets, yes. creating them. Like it's not as like open world and and unlimited as you think it is. There's still time and money impacts animation but this is something that would have been very difficult to do in a live action show and you would have really had to build the episode more around it this episode Mm. is kind of like it's an escalation of what's going on and it's really funny and it fits their dynamic and all that stuff i will say though it does kind of pull through this this undercurrent of maybe i'll say that for later but there's like an undercurrent of the show of meanness that i'm not sure that i've totally accepted uh, for me and, and that's Star fair Trek. and i think yeah. that there there is a bit of the rick and morty isms that kind of crosses over into the pilot of this i feel like they work a lot of that out later on in different episodes where they bring more heart into it it, it almost feels like they um brought in like a michael Schur or someone that's just like hey maybe we shouldn't be so rough <laughs> on these characters but the one of the themes that i really enjoy especially about this show is that if you have had so sort of those like drudging day jobs either in your 20s or younger or even like now like depending no matter what age you were at and you're you've got these insano jobs where you have all these people that are making insane decisions it's sort of like a grind job and that's where this show really is coming from is look at all the insane stuff they have to do and they have to go through while they're going through black holes and they're facing off with insane aliens and all this stuff and it's like yeah but you're still in charge of cleaning out the vats in the holodeck (laughs) Yeah. So like, so to me, like that is the funny part of it, but I still, there's a part of me that's like the intention of wrangling Star Trek down into something that's manageable and understandable for 20, for audiences in 2020 or the modern day is that's what's like, ah, well, you're kind of just saying Star Trek's kind of too hard to play on its own level. So we need to bring it down to this specific level because, you know, there's something aspirational in Star Trek. And I think what this show does is capture a part of that spirit. But I think the meanness um, and and the kind of like there is a class system or just mm. the hitting it so hard, I would say. Maybe it's that. that the yeah. fact that there's sort of like, you know, the doctor and the captain are like, who's this guy? Who cares? Oh, he can help us, though. Right. When he's when they come back and Boimler's got the goo on him and. Right. So they figure out it can stop the, the zombie virus. So it's kind of like a, an inherent disrespect of people on the lower decks with the lower deckers, which sort of betrays we, how I've ever, always understood Star Trek. I don't know. Right. So it just and that, bumps and that on makes, that. I, well, and I understand why that bumps for you because Star Trek as a whole it has followed sort of the magnanimous ships. Sort of, you know, you've got all these great heroic figures in history of Star Trek. And then you're doing a show that's fully centered on a group of kids in the lower decks on a ship that's a California class that's not respected by the entire fleet. And that's sort of the whole episode or like season arc is how the Cerritos gains a little bit more traction as one of the greats because they definitely didn't start that way. They're like, they're, Captain Freeman is not the greatest captain. Let's no, be she real. doesn't even know her crew's names. Nope. She's she's asked this uh, this ensign to come in and spy on her daughter and doesn't even know his name. Like no. it's, it's yeah. really ridiculous. I mean, <laughs> it, you see how like the leadership is a little bit lacking as well, and why they are considered sort of you know 
you don't get to do first contact. You get to catch up and do second contact so that like all their complaints can go through you. <laughs> um, yeah. We didn't really it, talk about all the characters, set them all up. I don't know. Should we do that right now? <laughs> we, sure. We mentioned most of them, Freeman and Boimler and Mariner and mm-hmm. Tendi and Rutherford. What I like about our core four, though, is that they are happy or they're they attack each day with positivity and joy. They're joyful yeah. about being there. And then we'll find out in the next episode. Everyone else does too, but like um, uh, Shax and Ransom and what's the doctor's name? The cat, do- the cat doctor. doctor? Oh gosh. Dr. Ta'ana, right? Uh, there we go. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, and watching the first episode, it's like, I can see where th- those are the only thing that kind of bumped me. So uh, you mentioned it and I was like, oh, here's an opportunity to talk about that. So. Oh, 100%. And I, and I, I do think that a lot of shows suffer sort of the, the not quite footing of a pilot where you're like, Oh, I like parks and rec first episode. They tried to do the tone of the office and then they realized that they needed more heart and Michael Schur came in (laughs) and, and then brought heart. And then that's why the second season and on of parks and rec is so iconic. They find their footing when they find their heart and their heart is definitely in all of these different ensigns like Rutherford, like attendee. Um, Even they even give a little bit more heart to captain Freeman in further episodes, but they definitely start off even though positive, a little bit more harsh and a little bit more critical. <laughs> I like the. I really actually like the Parks and Rec com, uh, comparison. When Michael Schur yeah. set out to make that show, he was like obsessed with The Wire, and he's like, "Can we do a comedy version <laughs> of The Wire?" No, where stop it. It just that like the bureaucracy. The that was the, no, that, that wasn't quite his pitch. It was like The Office, but like for public service servants. Yeah. Yeah. And like with the Michael Scott, but like involved in, in the local government. So yeah. small time, small, you know, the stakes are like building a park, like literally that was season one. But in his mind, it's like the his writerly inspiration was like, could you do one where it's like the institutions are what they are and we're just people getting crushed by them or how do we navigate them? And then you've got like a Leslie note that just kind of like fails around, but still hangs in there. And then exactly right. It's like it was too weird, too dark. You know, Chris Pratt spends the first season on the couch just being like a complete just like loser without a job. It's just really obnoxious. And like they loaded up with too many obnoxious characters, but then they recalibrated. And I think you're right. Maybe there's still a little solar opposites, Rick and Morty vibe Mm -hmm. that's in there. And we said this on all the other pilots. Pilots are very hard to do no matter what the show is. Star Trek even more so. So there's like Star Trek elements that really shine through in this one that they do that they're pretty creative with. So. I guess we got to take it for, you know, a pilot plus plus the Star Trek. It it works out. It's a nice balance, I think. Yeah. Uh, Do you have any other great moments you want to highlight? I just want to talk about the cast. Like, so we've yeah, got let's do it. Yeah. so many incredible actors and voice actors, which, as I was saying, are sort of from like the CISO movie. So like you've got Tawny Newsom, you've got Eugene Cordero, who you've seen also in The Good Place. You've seen in and almost Loki. every and in Loki, which mm-hmm. dude is killing it right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got your Jerry O'Connell's who are like not part of the CISO stuff, but like part of a lot of really great comedy and animated comedy. Um, also sliders. Don't forget yes. about sliders. Yes, of course. <laughs> of course, sliders. Don't forget. <laughs> um, Paul Shear. Paul Shear is one of those actors that like is, has been in comedy 
for the longest time. And you might not recognize them by face value if you're not as like deeply into comedy as I am, perhaps. But he's one of those that you should get to know. He's such a lovely human being. And it's just, you, you scream like for joy when you hear a lot of great comedians being a part of such a cool project. Um, speaking of which, Phil Lamar, uh, another great voice actor, also from SNL, also from- one of the best. Like yes. Phil Lamar, is like I mean, he's in every animated show great, now. Yeah, he's, he's like great, he's yeah. he's running the whole yeah. uh, crew, trying to get them union. It, it's fantastic. Uh, Carl Tart, obviously, Paul F. Tompkins, one of my all time favorite. Um, comedians and improvisers Lauren Lapkus who I believe is the ensign that Rutherford is dating is that am I right about that I can't remember in this episode no, I don't remember uh, seeing her name on the credits no 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 she oh, she ends up dating oh, Beckett, oh later on sorry yes. I don't actually know um it might be later next season I can't remember but all of these incredible comedians and voice actors are just riddled throughout this entire thing um and it, it almost makes me want to say, like, if you haven't already, download the IMDb app and just take a look at the wide breadth of comedy all of these actors have done because they come with so much experience, so much fun projects. And it's going to be things that like when you look at them, like even even Jack Quaid. Jack Quaid is having his. I haven't moment. even talked about Jack Quaid. Good old Jackie Boy. Oppenheimer, the, yes, he's like he's yes, he's an he's Oppenheimer. He, the boys, yes, the boys. Um, dude is also in a wonderful movie called Plus One, and it's with Maya Erskine, who's from Pen Fifteen, and also a comedian, um, and also the lead voice in the new Blue Eyed Samurai, which I also highly recommend. Um, all of, all of that to say, <laughs> any Lower Decks episode, download IMDb and check out the names because you're just going to find even more content, even more shows to watch because the same joy that they put into the voice acting and these episodes is the same joy that they have in all these other projects that you just please acknowledge the actors. <laughs> yes. Also, Jack Quaid, a uh, strike uh, picket line staple. Yes. All right. Best Trek Tropes. I'll, I'll go first. The malfunctioning Please. replicator. Yes. Banana. Hot. Banana. Hot. <laughs> yes. oh, God. I forgot about that. Oh, it's so funny. This is what <laughs> having comedy writers writing a Star Trek bit is actually really good for Star Trek because, you know, you can have your Jerry Taylors and your Ron Moores and Brandon Braggas, Michael Pillars, whoever, try to like write humorous moments or beats but like a comedy writer is going to be like, I have the situation and I'm going to do 50 versions of this joke until I get it right. Oh, and yeah. for some reason, banana hot, banana hot <laughs> is a great combination of banana shouldn't be hot. So the replicator is really screwed up and it's easy to animate. So uh, good thing. hundred percent. And you can do those kinds of jokes over and over again. And they do bring banana hot back at one random point and it just shoots out <laughs> at Boimler. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, any uh, best check jokes i mean you already mentioned it but the 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 holodeck when <laughs> formler has to get the uh the engine as one of his uh places to see um <laughs> that just cracked me up i loved 
the idea of um, Freeman bringing Boimler in to her offices and you're thinking it's going to be sort of this lovely moment, like a Picard with Wesley type thing. And it's not at all. <laughs> um, it's like, you're going to be watching my, uh, well, they don't realize at the moment, but you're going to be watching Ensign Beckett Mariner, um, which I think is like such a fun twist because Boimler is such a try hard to begin with. So he has to do the best job possible because he's Starfleet and he represents everything that is just like go getter Starfleet. And then coming down into the planet and like seeing Mariner assumingly give away uh, weapons and things like that. But really it's farming tools um, just calls back to that heart that Star Trek does so well. Um, where it's like, yeah, not everything is as it seems. And you don't always have to follow, you know, the Starfleet law to the letter because everyone always goes for first contact. You're not you're not supposed to do certain things. You're not supposed to show more tech than they have, yada, yada, yada. Um, but they oftentimes do this puzzle solving with these different alien societies of, what do they really actually need? And I, that's one of the things that I love that is so consistent in Tani Newsom's character and Beckett Mariner is that she's constantly saying, yeah, but here's the real side of it all. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I actually have that for my worst trick show, but it, again, okay. filtering it through, filtering it through Mariner. I think that's a, like, let's put it there for a second. Um, she's kind of like just a Star Trek jukebox. So I was kind of like, <laughs> yeah. she is herself. She's not, she's like a new Trek tr uh, trope, a modern Star Trek trope of the character. Who's a fan of Star Trek. That's like a mm -hmm. character we're seeing iterate kind of throughout the series. You know, she's a definitely an escalation of like a Tilly character where it's like sure. Tilly is very meta and commenting on what's happening and having the if not the viewers uh, eyes in, I think it's the writers. I, I think modern TV writers are becoming a little less uh, self. They're being too self-reflective. They're Ooh, saying like, they're, I, they're just I looking at themselves. I don't disagree yeah. with you, but I am interested in in hearing um, where, where specifically you got that from this episode. Well, I'm just, I'm saying like what it's amazing that this show has its own voice from the other shows, but it still feels of a kind with, discover like the new shows that that uh alex kurtzman's company was well, secret hideout that they're that they're producing like it still feels a part of that and mariner is like walks that line because we know tawny newsom's such a fan and everything she says when you know i'm sure half the lines she's saying are are ad libs probably yeah somewhere in that imagine. percentage uh, and so yeah. she's just tossing these things off like with the proper pronunciation and you know what i mean like in the flow of conversation because she's a star trek fan she knows how to say it she knows how to say it in context what it means all that stuff uh so i guess what i was getting at like she alone i almost put like is she a best trek trope because she does it so well or is she a worst trek trope because do we need a a, a, ref, a reference generator, a jukebox okay. of Star Trek references? I wasn't sure, but be, even before that, that Mariner, sorry, the um, the captain scene, the Freeman scene you cited, I just mm. want to point out, I almost put that as a great moment because okay. they all, but I didn't for a reason. But the reason I almost did is because it's exactly as you laid out. You think this is gonna be. The Captain Picard scene, welcome aboard. I right. hear you're interested in command or I have some interesting, like I have a something I want to tell you. And it's directed 
Like she's looking out the window and pacing and walking around. Like it's directed right, right, even right. like a Captain Picard scene. Oh, yeah. And she's just like, no, I just want you to spy on this. Ensign, Ensign uh, I don't even know your name. Uh, so it <laughs> subverts even your Trek trope there. And so that's why I almost put it as a great moment. But I didn't think that the voice acting was good in that scene. Not that oh, I just didn't think I didn't think she hit the lines in the way that would have make it made it make emotional sense. And so that just seemed like a directing thing more than anything. So I just oh, like that performance was a little bit off. And I don't know. It's just, that was the kind of the only reason why I didn't think it was a truly great moment. But okay. uh, it was it, you pointed it out enough to make remind me like there's a lot of craft in that scene because they yeah. are trying to do exactly that for that reason. You know, it's it's one of those things where, like, the more you commit to it, the more I'm going to yes. love it. And and yes. that's what this entire show is, is that it's a bit, but they commit really hard to it. And maybe, maybe I, you know, I, I didn't notice the voice acting all that much um, in that scene. I thought that was pretty funny and, <laughs> I don't know, got my giggle. Um, I will say. No, that- no, the emotion, you know what, the emotional parts of that scene. Got it. The, okay. the, the parts that make it seem that grounds it in what it is like Jack Quaid and Tony Newsom are giving performances. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, I think the other I... performances just needed in some cases, some attenuation, not that they were just outright bad, but like no, those probably you. needed uh, different takes or retakes or whatever. It just sure. Might've been like all they got at that point. I mean, yeah. think about Karen and Will and Grace. She didn't have the voice the first episode, you know, <laughs> you're right. <laughs> it's still exactly. finding the footing, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but also to, to the point of Beckett Mariner, I do think that she is coming from the perspective of, the nerds of us that crack jokes while watching TNG or DS9, uh, all these things that are like, wait, what? Um, I feel like Tawny is the catalyst to some of these things that are like, this is insane. Like the one example I have, and I don't remember which episode it starts with, but I think it's like second or third episode where she starts to be like, why are you saying censors really weird? And they call so them- those are just jokes, right? Those yeah. are just jokes. They're 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 using Star Trek nouns, but they're that, that's a joke. But, so but that exactly works for me. How, that's exactly <laughs> how they pronounced it, though. So it's that's just an audible joke that she's like, no one pronounces it as censors. Why are you saying censors? Why is everyone saying this? But they continue that bit throughout the entire series, and Beckett never adheres to it and i think that's that's kind of the sort of deep cuts that they bring in that really really makes me laugh so it's it's for the comedians in all of us who sat down and rewatched a couple of tng shows and were like why is Riker sitting like that <laughs> or you know well, that's like, yeah that's they... observation and all that so yeah. that's fine it just for me when it's like i'm gonna make a star trek reference and that is the joke that's sure. when it starts. It's like that's when she just sounds like a jukebox, and I'm much less interested. And I don't okay. know the fact that they're able to hit other actual jokes in the show is like, well, come on, what <laughs> you you just were like, let's just put a let's just this is not even placeholder dialogue. This is just a reference, and we'll move on. And we got out of the scene. Maybe that's the strength of Star Trek, though. You always have a reference that you can always. use to get you out of the scene. So, I mean, look at all of the, I mean, they barely scratched the surface of like the original series. <laughs> so there's, there's yeah. so much to mine from. And it's, I feel like that's the sort of quippy voice of today. A lot of, 
cynicism inherently, but then can have the progression to be filled with heart. Worst Trek tropes. Um, the biofilter doesn't work. Conveniently. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Ransom gets bit uh, by a mosquito right before they beam up. Um, right. That seems like that, an exotic that was, that was thing. My that would the first one. Yeah, the biofilter would be like, uh, that wasn't here before. That's, <laughs> that doesn't belong there. All right, so I stepped on yours. Sorry. Do you have any? Do you have no, any other worst tropes? That was that that was my worst Trek trope. I mean, it it it's, it harkens to me when they do an episode later on that's fully about like every episode has like a cave episode or every series oh, yes. has a cave episode, mm-hmm. and they make glorious, beautiful fun out of that. Um, but the getting bit right before you get beamed right back up to the ship and then that affects the entire ship um and the doctor also being unable to <laughs> administer health or anything like that so it's left to sort of the side characters where that's not necessarily their specialty um to solve the problem feels like one of those like oh well all the people who could be helpful in this scenario are out of commission so i guess we've got to figure out a way um I liked it. One thing that uh, it reminds me of is pretty much every Lower Decks, or I should say a lot of Lower Decks episodes, my experience has been there's one part of it that is like staunchly, firmly Star Trek that you could do in one of the live action shows. And it would like work and it, you know, it would whatever, but you could transport it pretty easily. And then once storyline is almost always pure cartoon like borderline bugs bunny <laughs> shit yeah yeah and yeah, yeah. and it's like and that's where it's sometimes those can pair very nicely and other times if i see zombies i'm like zombies is a played out thing so and, <laughs> and it raises so many more questions than it answers so ransom the first officer was was straight up killing members of the crew when they were eating mm-hmm. them they just alighted mm-hmm. all that they just they just avoided that question like did we kill them when we Eat them? I don't know. So, it they just probably was a cool saw visual. a koala. They yeah. probably saw a koala. <laughs> they came back. There's no explanation. You're not supposed to know yet. <laughs> Very well. All right. Now it's time for the line must be drawn here. Great lines. All right, you oh, go there. Nothing gets me laughing harder than Boimler freaking out. Um, and. Um, He's got so many, so many lines. Like when he's getting attacked by the spider, he's like, "No, go away, leave me alone." <laughs> um, it just there's something very like soccer mom about Boimler and his reactions. And anytime he just power walks and hip walks away, I, that that just cracks me up. Um, the also- first time I ever watched this show, so the, I watched this episode when it premiered. I like I had to turn it off because for me, it was just like, oh, it's just one of those cartoons where everyone's screaming at each other. And then I went back and I'm like <laughs> listening to them. Then I'm like aware that I'm going to be a barrage of noise and then whatever. So then but then hearing how he textures that performance different modes of worrying to your point mm-hmm. <laughs> like mm-hmm. when he's being serious when he's being like trying to be serious like when he's not really he's like i need to act authoritatively instead of just being a person like there's so many different layers to it and then yeah he he has his scream and it's funny oh my god his scream <laughs> he gets so high and he even did it in the live action oh sorry there's so much there's so much <laughs> 
Tendi's meeting the crew for the first time. Mariner says to her, we're not really elite. We're more like the cool, scrappy underdogs of the ship. You know, we don't wash our hands. We're doing kickflips all the time. Yes. I just really like the specificity of we don't wash our hands. I think that's very funny. Jack Ransom, when uh, he finally comes out of the zombie stuff and he's like, what happened? Where am I? Like, did I eat any flesh? And Teddy's like, <laughs> um, hardly any. He's like, how much did I eat? <laughs> Uh, and then Mariner to Rutherford. So we found out that Rutherford has recently become a cyborg. Yes. So his implants playing with him. And Mariner says to Rutherford, wait, don't you have a date with Ensign Barnes tonight? And Rutherford says, sure do. Mariner says, she's crazy hot. Are you nervous? And Rutherford says, I'm trying to be, but this thing keeps tamping it down. <laughs> <laughs> Almost a Ralph Wiggum line or like a Simpsons line. I just 100% a Ralph. <laughs> yeah, that's totally what his character is. Because he, he says, okie dokie. <laughs> Now it's time for the line must be drawn there. Great art. <laughs> I don't know. It's, no one says that line in there. Um, any any like visuals or images that you want to point out? Dude, we have not talked about this, but the opening credits. Oh, uh, yeah. So that entire sequence is one of the most enjoyable things to watch each new season um, because they change it ever so slightly each time. But, you know, you start out with the ship getting pulled back into a black hole. You know, you continue on. You're bumping into asteroid rocks and things like that. Um, there, There's a, like another part where it's very iconic for this season. But they, they approach what appears to be a Borg cube. And then they just go, nope. And they turn around. <laughs> and mm-hmm. that visual gag is so funny. But then they keep adding different major villains each season that I'm just, I'm so excited to see how that grows and how far, like I hope this show goes as long as the Simpsons. I hope the show goes so much further into so many years, possibly decades. And I would love to have a 26 episode lower decks, honestly. Oh my um, God. <laughs> I not even kidding you, man. Like I feel like they could do it if they just had like a full series because that's how episodes used to be. And I, I just, I want more lower decks. Um, but Yes, we were only doing 10 episode arcs and all of that. And I guess that's just the way of it now <laughs> in streaming. Um, but yeah, there's just there's so much more to go and there's so much more to fill just that one frame of a ship approaching what appears to be a gazillion evil enemies of space and time uh, and then turning around and just noping out of there. <laughs> I find that hysterical and beautifully done. I didn't appreciate this storyline. I was not a fan of it. So the zombie thing I wasn't into, but I actually really <laughs> dug the visuals and when the crew zombied out and um, and some of the, especially the shot where Rutherford and Barnes come in through the exterior yeah. and then they all snap their heads and look at them. So I thought that was a cool shot. Um, nice, nice mood setter there. All right. What part of this episode might they teach at Starfleet Academy? Well, so this kind of ties into what I was thinking before about one of the things I said was like a worst Trek trope. And I guess I didn't follow it up in that moment. But the idea that Mariner is going to these people out, you know, these farmers basically and giving them equipment and Mm -hmm. cites the bureaucracy will slow things down so they won't even get the supplies that they need. So the Federation is going to give them. So she's just going to do it on her own. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to skip over the whole, like, I thought this was like a professional organization where people do need to follow orders. Otherwise people die or think bad things can happen. Like there are more bad things that could have happened from that. Other people could have, could have started some sort of conflict. Like why are they getting special treatment? Blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Um, but just the idea, again, what I said earlier of like wrangling things down to something that we can understand. Of course, the bureaucracy in the 21st century doesn't help people. So it makes perfect sense that our hero would be nobly flaunting the rules in order to provide actual help to people. I guess what I'm saying is Starfleet Academy would teach, here's why all that pain and suffering we've gone through and evolved as people actually makes the rules that we follow uh, make sense. Because theoretically, in Star Trek, and I'm just talking about Star Trek, which is what the show, it's it's right there on the title, Katie, called <laughs> Star Trek. So when I see, there's a value proposition in that, Star Trek, not Star Wars, but not uh, Bike Trek, it's Star Trek. So I, I kind of have an idea of what I'm getting what the Big Mac's supposed to taste like, essentially. Uh, and so the, the idea is like we do struggle through the shit we're living through now and then it gets better because we strive to be better. And so Mariner's shortcut, uh, it's like it, it could be a case study in like, here's why you don't do that. Now, it all worked out for them in the episode, but I think like she's clearly part of the charm of Mariner is that she, we find out later why she's pushing so hard, right? That's going to be something right. that the show deals with later on. And that all makes sense. And we also, the show actually also provides a container or boundaries to make it make sense why she's allowed to get away with everything she's getting right. away with. It helps when your mom's the captain. But again, yep. that's still reflective of today. She's a, what? So she's a, she's a Nepo baby. <laughs> so. she's, she's almost a Nepo baby. And I think that's something that like the show really uncovers in the like later seasons here or later seasons as of the recording of this podcast. Um, it's one of those things that you're like, yeah, she's the daughter of a captain but you also come to find out that she seemingly has lived many lives in a way, you know, like she's been on, <laughs> yes. she's lived on a many great line sh- in the next episode. About that. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah, exactly. No, no, so I guess what I'm saying, what, what would they teach at Starfleet Academy? It would just be part of the curriculum of like, this is why we do what we do. Yeah. And I think what they're, they are very intentional about even now in this episode is making it clear, like, Mariner knows her shit and she's making a choice. And so the show, I don't think hits hard enough to under like making that like a question that the show that we should want to know an answer to, because there's an interesting answer waiting for us. It just kind of leaves it there. Is what I'm saying making sense? Like it's, it Mariner knows what she's doing. It's very clear and her reasons are good, but why is she intentionally flaunting the rules and I think the show later will answer the question or say we should want to know the answer. But in this episode, it doesn't quite do that. It just says she's cool. She even says I'm awesome. And, you know, like, let's leave it alone. Right. Um, so. Well, and there, there's two, I know, rules of writing in terms of like your main character. There's the character that comes in and is changed by the people around them. Or it's the character that comes in and changes the people around them. Um, so there's change happening. It's just dependent on is it the person themselves creating the change around them, or is it the people around that person creating the change within that? Um, And with Mariner, she's definitely one of those characters that like, she's changing the people around her to kind of loosen up on some of the rules and show like, 
a lot of this like rule following bureaucracy, like going into it so hard can overshadow the bigger, more um, complicated questions that we need to solve and kind of marches through that. She gets consequences for a lot of those actions later on. But this episode kind of sets up like she knows a little bit more than she's letting on to. And she's not doing this for profit because what does she have to profit? Cause they don't have money in Starfleet, mm-hmm. um, you know, and other than experience in helping others. And I think that's something that's set up and not really kind of paid off until later. Yeah. I just, my only quibble, I guess is like, they, it doesn't even hit it hard enough. Like this is a central mystery of the show. Yeah, they and, may, they I mean, may it, not it have even known a, that by then. Yeah, that's a good point, too. But um, and then, the, I mean, you just reminded me, like, Boimler even says, like, he's been to just five planets, one of those yeah. Earth, one of those Vulcan. And, you know, it's like Mariner seems like it is kind of I was like trying to wrap it around in my mind. I'm like, does that quite make sense? And it's like, I guess. Why not? Why mm. not? This kid from Modesto is on Earth. By, by the way, Modesto, Northern California. So I know. It's so, oh, yeah. it's so great. It's so great. It's like tickling. I'm like, oh, the always in the me- on the weather reports. Sacramento yeah. stuck in Modesto. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Uh, oh, so. yeah. There's, there's flooding in Riverside. <laughs> that's oh, right. Okay. That's right. Uh, but then, you know, it, it was so it's a nice contrast. And I guess I want to say bring this up before we get, dive into the next episode that they have really good chemistry. And I, I'm pretty sure they don't record in the same room together. So just the fact that those characters work. And their performances match. And there's a chemistry between them. I'm sure it's a combination of writing, performance, direction, all that. But Mariner and Boimler do make a good pair. And it's right off the bat a good pair, I thought. Absolutely. It's one of those pairs that is very um, Spock and Kirk in a way. We're... Well, it's hold not, on. It's not. It's okay, not Katie. Spock and okay. Kirk. Hold on. <laughs> Wait for me to explain. Dang, you are defensive about this show. <laughs> okay, Spock and Kirk. And I then, wanted it's to like, earn. It's. I wanted to earn got, some stuff. Don't you just. Got an, you got an. You got an odd couple. You've got an odd couple pairing. Is what I'm saying. I'm not saying that they're exactly a one to one of Spock and Kirk. Absolutely not. Um, but you've got the sort of cocky eyed leader. And then you've got the more rule following. But the fun thing, the fun twist about it is that Boimler is just so goofy to be. He's a soccer mom. Boimler is a soccer mom. Um, <laughs> and, um, and and I, I love that you're, you're bucking that kind of female tradition, what you've normally seen in female characters in Star Trek as sort of the cockeyed head like hot-headed leader that knows all has a lot of experience but instead of a male energy you're giving it to a female and i think that's what really that it honestly knocks it out of the park for me because it's just like yeah sometimes like you can have the girl who has been through everything seen everything knows everything literally about star trek but then kind of gets her licks in the same way but then emotionally grows from that and from there on what were the names of their characters in 21 Jump Street? Jonah Hill and Channing Tatum. 
Oh gosh, okay. that's the di- that to me is closer to what the yeah. boy Blair Mariner type dynamic. Is. I'm I'm not saying it's a one to one. I'm saying you you've got also these why can't they couple. be their own dynamic? And that's just Kirk and, and Spock, absolutely. Mariner and Boy Moments. Oh, <laughs> no, you I mean did not like that. I compared those two, did you? You are I have stepped on hollow ground. You're like too far. Get that dirty toe too, off of that. Too far. <laughs> Well, I mean, the other level of that, even if I can take my, I wasn't offended, but if I could just take that, <laughs> just set aside the taste in my mouth, spit it out for a moment. <laughs> Kirk and Spock, but just from a comedy standpoint, Kirk and Spock were actually also in love with each other. So that's a different element to this, to that. That does not happen in. And uh, you don't have era. that. You no, do not have, have that. that. Yeah. All right, so Trek, Marry, or Kill. Remember, this isn't the series, just yeah. the episode, Second Contact. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. You I feel like, like I'm just bringing you in to decide no which ones heart. are Marys <laughs> and which ones are Treks, but no, basically and, a Mary. <laughs> and this was something that when you first emailed me, the first question I asked myself was whether this is a Trek, Mary, Kill. And the, the answer remains still, it is a Trek. It's it's a fun ride. I really enjoy it. It, it got me going um, in the right direction. Would I marry it? No. Uh, <laughs> but it is, I do think it's a great start to a beautiful series. Uh, I will give it a soft trek. I, I almost ah! gave it a kill. I almost gave it a kill because the zombie stuff was so like, it again, raised more questions than they answered all that stuff. But it was also like, you kind of actually put the best point on it. The, the lower deckers don't get explained these things to them. So the fact that we're only getting their interface with all that, like their experience with it is what, why it's sits in the episode as it does. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, well, they're eating the first officer is eating crew members. This is weird. So that's, yeah. that's my nerdy brain, but and he doesn't otherwise, know quite how yeah. much flesh he did actually eat. <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, we forgot a best Trek trope, but not I, that more than anything helped push me into a soft track here, putting okay. the episode title at the beginning. Oh. And they, they use the TNG font. You mentioned the opening credits, but yeah. we should mention like they used the opening, like the blue uh, yeah. italicized font. Basically they put the episode titles right there in the corner for you to see when the episode starts. Good Star Trek. Appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. All right. Trek for second contact. We'll be right back and get into envoys. All right, let's talk about Envoys, the second episode. It premiered on Paramount Plus August 13th, uh, 2020, which, again, was a real year, apparently. Uh, Written by (laughs) Chris Kula, directed by Kim Arndt. Memory Alpha describes it, After a high-profile mission goes awry, Boimler is further plagued with self-doubt when Mariner proves herself to be a more naturally talented sci-fi badass than he. Rutherford quits his job in engineering and explores other departments on the USS Cerritos. Uh, Memory Alpha mentions another franchise first. Remember, we mentioned the first time that Lower Decks did a bunch of other stuff. It's the first time that a character has, in the same episode, worn all three uniform colors. Yes. Rutherford in the engineering gold swaps to command red, goes medical blue, then back to gold for his brief stint in the uh, the bear pack, or sorry, the wolf pack. Um, and um, yeah, and this is also another incredible first that we cannot ignore. It's the first time Boimler does a Section 31 speed walk. 
Oh, yes. <laughs> so, I mean, this episode actually sets up quite a lot of Lower Decks lore, <sighs> which is great. Got to have a, your own show has to have lore. You can't just borrow, big borrow and steal from the other shows. Nope. So the, developing its own is fantastic. Um, I, I want to just drop in this Keith R.A. Candido review. He did it for Tor.com. I'm not going to read from the from it, but uh, he's a Star Trek novelist. He's written many Star Trek books over the years, and he compared this one to Deep Space Nine's In the Cards, which I don't know if you remember that one. It's the penultimate episode, I think, of season five, and it's all about Jake trying to get his dad a baseball card because he thinks it'll cheer him up. And then the next episode is the the kickoff of the Dominion War. But uh, oh the, gosh, the, yeah, <laughs> a nice but, preamble. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm not as familiar with Deep Space Nine. That's um, okay. No, it wasn't a test. I'm just, I guess I, I was asking because I was like, I didn't actually get that vibe from this episode. But again, yeah. we had, there was only so much, we have even more Star Trek now than when this episode premiered. So it's all, it was maybe a little easier to compare it to things. But I think I mentioned it mainly because as of its second episode, people are being reminded of, of other episodes based on what the episode's about, not mm-hmm. the references. You know what I mean? Like it's not the reference sure. humor, it's the story. So yeah. already they're like, Fuck yeah, we're a Star Trek show. Yeah. <laughs> just a mishmash of family guy non sequiturs. Yeah. So <laughs> kind of ways. All right. So let's get into the grades then. All right. So great moments. You go first. I, this is one of my all time favorite bits that they did, but it's Rutherford trying to, um, just complete this mission of being in the holodeck and running like uh oh my god i (laughs) die every time with how quickly he failed like it's it's not even um it's not the kobayashi maru but they keep treating it like it's like worse than the kobayashi maru and they're like they're like this has happened so many times. We've run this test so many times and it's never been that bad. <laughs> that kills me. Love that moment. The immediate red alerts for both bits <laughs> and then everyone's all bloodied just right away. Oh, yep. but then yep. the kindergarten's been destroyed. <laughs> oh no, now the pre-K. All the children have been vented into space. My yep. God. you can't you can't top that moment i mean there are a lot of really great (laughs) moments in this uh, especially with the klingon but (laughs) if we did rank the if we did rank the great moments in an episode that would be that's number one one. oh that's absolutely number one uh one of yeah hilarious again if you have if you put comedy writers in a room and you give them star trek scenarios or traditional dramatic scenes because we saw counselor troy do the bridge officers test right we've seen they use a holodeck to train on this and like you mentioned kobayashi maru like all that stuff so Mm -hmm. but you put a bunch of uh, 21st century comedy writers in a room (laughs) they're gonna find the comedy in the moment uh and plus it up really nicely okay so that's the number one moment for sure the number one a or hard number two it's your pick was used in the promos for the show and it was the the first thing that made me go, okay, I really got to check it out. I've really got to check it out. Blast shield, it's blast shield. It comes yes. down and it goes up. Blast shield. Come on. That's. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> that was a joyful moment. And again, right. like you said, why do you say censors that way? It's like they're making yeah. a joke about something in, like in the world. It's of the reality that they're in. And I'm like, perfect. Thank you. Yeah. I love it. Makes me so happy. So that was that was a great one. But I know we we kind of briefly touched on this. We'll probably talk about it again. 
but when Boimler is in his dress outfit, <laughs> the long, the long yes. uniform. Yes. And he the just season looks, two, like, <laughs> oh, it's just, it's such a, like the, the costume just, I know it was animated, but the costume design of that was just like a chef's kiss of a moment. <laughs> and well, they make so, fun of him for it. <laughs> they never have to worry about how to design something. And I think Mike McMahon said this in interviews, oh. they can just dial up the episode, show it to the animation animation team and they can either trace it or do whatever they have to, but like they are simply using the design language from nineties Trek. And yeah. like it's, it's in the production design, the set decoration, the props, and like they're pointing out the, the costumes and I think it's great. And he obviously Boimler is designed to be a clown. Like he's, like, he's like <laughs> a goop. So like anything you put on him, he looks funny in a way. So yep. that was cool. It's true. And again, Boimler's a soccer mom. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so Mariner, especially with that swishy section 31 walk, that is definitely a mom, oh. uh, soccer mom power walk for sure. Yes. <laughs> uh, which section 31 merely adopted, but uh there you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I love the introduction when, so, you know, Boimler has to pilot this Klingon dignitary down to a planet. And, but then Boy, uh, Mariner gets on board. She crashes the party. And then when they meet Corinne, he, they get into a fight, a, a pretty <laughs> a quickly violent fight in the shuttlecraft. And it's all just their handshake and saying hi. And yeah. he's like, oh, you've slowed down with all these. Oh, they've had pat, pushing pads, he says, uh, which is kind of funny. But I like that. I just like that introduction. That is the animated promise of doing a Star Trek premise, because mm-hmm. if you did that in a real show, maybe they'd like headbutt each other. But you couldn't right. do even a halfway um, interesting fight like they do in this one. Because that, that she pulled the Black like, Widow. Yeah, she totally did. She totally did. <laughs> Good to see you, so-and-so. Uh, <laughs> no, like, you would have to have fight choreography. You would have to have special effects for the blood. You would have to have, like, a, a tearaway costume. Like, there's so much that would go into that in a live action. It's, it's one of those things that I keep saying, thank God it's animated, because they get to go there. They get to go and do those things and make it as ridiculous as possible, which I think is what is fitting for a really fun, lighthearted sci-fi. Okay, so I had two more great moments, but I was actually, as we were talking, it just made me go, wait, wasn't there one more great scene? This episode starts... Oh, never mind. That's... I Okay, I remember now. With the, so the my, orb? Do you want yeah, to but I had that for best Trek trope, but did you want to okay. say it now or no? Did you think that was no, a no, great no, moment? No, no, no. I, yeah. I thought it was a great moment, but yeah, that was what I had for Trek trope. Okay, well... You, so my... <laughs> I only had three more... Um, I had three more great moments. I actually thought there were kind of a lot in this one. Or, sorry, them, two yeah. more. Two more. Um, after the bar brawl, when they're looking for Corinne after he's gotten gone away, wandered off, uh-huh. uh, and and the Mariner breaks it up, and everyone likes her and is happy. And Boimler's sitting there with his pants down. <laughs> Remember, he's sitting in the car because he got stabbed again. Right. Um, uh, she's like, oh, he's like, oh, everyone likes you. I'm no good at this. And she's like, oh, come on, you're Mister Starfleet. And she tries to cheer him up. Um, I just love that that whole scene is nice because it is a Star Trek scene with the mm. lower decks uh, plussing of it. So like she she goes to him and she takes the plant and she crushes it up and like there's a numbing agent or whatever in there. I'm like, that's remember in, in Star Trek, yeah. there's always something like that. And someone knows how to do it. So yeah. that's great. And but she's basically it's like, like 
it's space aloe vera and she knows yes, how to use right. it you know <laughs> Uh, but then but then it goes into she's trying to cheer him up and he's expressing his emotions. And then it goes into this, which I'll save for later, goes into this whole thing about I'm just going to quit Starfleet and go do research on an asteroid. Right. And then it gets it gets meta, <laughs> but it's still funny. I think it kind of works. But the whole scene is very complete. It's like and then it ends yeah. with her seeing that he's tossed the combat in there. So that's like an actual great scene, I think, for this show, especially. But, you know, it's a great scene in general. I'm just saying like that they took the time to do it. And do it the way that they did it was I thought it was really nice. And then yeah. the last one is when Shax introduces Rutherford to the security bear pack. The whole scene, oh, like yes. the runner has been every he's tried out every department, every. and he's like I gotta quit. And you always think that they're gonna get mad at him and like that's great. And you know what I mean, which was nice. It's very Star Trek, really, where they're like you're not cut out for this or like that's great. Be yourself. Um, that's what that's what uh, Shax says. It's like uh, oh that's outstanding. You got to be true to yourself. And then they're yeah. like, and then the rest of the team's like, yay. And he goes, oh, bears. <laughs> so, oh, the bear pack. I've been saying the wolf pack. Security bear pack. Um, yeah, it is the, yeah, all the baby bear. Oh, baby bear. <laughs> so you got to, you got to help me out here. You're the actual comedy writer here. The only oh. thing I, I, and I say this because I was like, it's not a fly. I just had a question. So in that scene, that's the last beat of this storyline for Rutherford. The security bear pack is the last beat where he realizes I just got to go back to what I love. Right, and as Shax is speaking to him, he sees someone crawl out of the Jeffrey's tube. Yes. It's a great joke, visual. And the Jeffrey's tube is sparkling behind them. And he realizes, I just got to go back. And then yeah. Shax finishes his speech and says, you'll never have to go step into Jeffrey's tube again. And then he goes, I want to. Shouldn't the you'll never have to step into Jeffrey's tube line have come earlier? And then he sees it? I, it feels like the comedy was wrong in that scene or am I wrong? I, I'm, I'm I, wrong a lot. So I just know. I'm very, uh, that's, you know, I would say that that's actually an editing issue, which mm. um, I didn't, I didn't notice a, a sort of a misstep in the comedy of that. I think that was not necessarily like building to be like a sharp joke that we weren't supposed to see coming. I think it was more just, he's been wanting to go back into the Jeffrey's tube and hang out with Tendi and, you know, and do his diagnostics. And he's more fit for that as a cyborg now. And I, I think what's interesting is that the, the character, it was the character he was dating Barnes that he was dating the episode before sort of encourages him to maybe try other things or whatnot. And then Tendi kind of, doubles down on that i so guess he's like just, no you're great no yeah. Tendi's like be yourself that's great <laughs> yeah and that and that, that's where we get like uh, like oh that, that's the solidification that tendy is our core cast and not barnes you know like we, we get a, a little bit more emphasis on like keep doing the things that you love doing even if you're not really fully sure of yourself in all of this yeah. So I I think those are two really solid scenes. One much more purely comedic. The Rutherford scene is sure. much oh more, good. but but like the the Mariner Boimler scene has like drama in it, and it's funny. Mm. That's that's like really high, uh, high wire act that they executed well. All right, best Trek tropes. Um, definitely the very beginning, the tag in the beginning, um, or the cold open, is the ball of light that comes in, sort of cue like ready to take over the ship and then gets negotiated down <laughs> into like a small teeny tiny little orb after like them like bargaining on what that, what it is that they need from it. Um, 
that is just hysterical. I, I love that it's sort of like, oh, you've got this ethereal entity that might like cause the, the entire ship to go into disrepair as they did in the episode before. And then they shut it down just by talking it out of its entire plan <laughs> and getting its power from it. Yeah, yeah I mean, that's uh, not just Q, but there's like home soil from TNG, right. ugly mo- giant bags of mostly water, like, or the original <laughs> series, there'd be like, it even brings to mind the Corbomite maneuver of just that stentorian voice, this godlike voice of like, I am all powerful. And the Mariner immediately just grabs it, like puts it in the headlock. Um, and th- <laughs> like, I, like I was saying before, like this would be like the whole episode for most shows. And here it's a joke. And it's, I don't know if I think the ultimate punch, like make me the tricorder with the purple stripe. It's all that great, but I like that they just, they're like deflating it and making it funny in in a way. And then he tries to, when he gets shrunk down, he still tries to be an angry, punitive god and and it doesn't go anywhere, which is cute. So that's good. Um, Okay. Shaq's putting Rutherford in the fight simulation, which is the boxing ring filled with the Borg. So so we had the, we had the, you name what the best moment in the episode was with the ransom holodeck but him mm-hmm. fighting the borg the reason why i'm putting in the tropes and not as a moment because it's like whatever he kicks the borg's ass and whatever and Shax is like wow that i this is why it's a best trick trope he goes i use this to test officers to get them ready to experience defeat and how they deal with defeat and you just swap the floor with all them and i'm like it's amazing that see this is why star trek's great they know not only do they have all the designs they can use but they have all the moves, all the character beats. Like yeah. our simulators aren't about teaching violence. They're about accepting loss or like growing and learning. And so I just thought that was a great Trek trope that they would use that. Worst Trek tropes. Do you have any? I mean, it's it's the worst Trek trope, but it's also the best in a way. I, I keep going back. <laughs> I keep going back to that holodeck thing. Like when they're just testing him and he's doing the bridge crew test and it's just red alert, red alert, red alert. That stuff just, it killed me because it was like, yeah, every time you go into a holodeck recreation of, you know, the bridge crew, you always get the dire circumstance that never happens in real life just to show you, Oh, sometimes there are situations you can't get out of. Like it's a Kobayashi Maru type of situation. Um, Or they open the episode up with like, this sort of dire circumstance and then they pull out oh i guess it was a holodeck simulation wow what a crazy circumstance um but yeah i I would say the rutherford one (laughs) i guess one thing we need to mention first of all if you are near a computer while you're listening to this just youtube search for like rutherford holodeck test or something like that oh god please (laughs) i mean oh it's so funny i i don't want i think the scene is like uh, impervious to criticism because it ends with uh, 105% of the crew killed. Yes. <laughs> like it was, it was a t- oh gosh. There's so many that like, I know we haven't gotten there yet, but there are so many quotable lines from that yeah. scene alone. <laughs> uh, so, okay. My worst trick trope, I'm going to work from the bottom up here. Uh, the, the casual racism towards alien cultures. This, sure. is, uh, this is back from the original series. Dr. McCoy hates Vulcans right. <laughs> as nothing right. but contempt for them. But, you know, 
First of all, a lot of this casual racism is Mariners. She's like, all Klingon names sound the same. They all have apostrophes for some reason. Like, I know that's like an in, that's like a, not a deep cut joke, but it's like a Star Trek fan joke. But it's also just, (laughs) it's also just racist, which, Mm -hmm. which Mm -hmm. in Star Trek we've decided is fine because they're not real aliens, but uh, but then later they land on Tolkien. That's interesting, but like I never really thought of it that way. But yeah, you're totally right. <laughs> <laughs> but then later when they land on Tolgana Four, she gets when they get out of the shuttle. She goes, "Ah, oh, the smell of the Klingon district. Yeah, we're gonna have to wash, get the shuttle washed for sure." I'm like, that is really right. crazy. Yeah, no, <laughs> so you're that's... totally right. I, like, and of course, like my brain is just like, oh, that's funny because they're not real. But like, also, oh, but you said it's it's still Star Trek, but animated. Remember, we got it. Yeah. It's all it's all real, real, but quote unquote. It but, is, it is, and that's that's the thing that I'm just now realizing. I'm like, okay, yeah, I see you. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> and then Kristen and I have been clocking this as long as we've been doing Trek Mary Kill, and I'm, we're not the first people by any stretch of the imagination. It's just funny how often it comes up. It was in the Voyager pilot where Harry Kim is like. They told us about Ferengi at Starfleet Academy. And Quark's like, what are they saying about Ferengi at Starfleet Academy? And so here is Boimler saying that the Ferengi are the most untrustworthy races in the galaxy. (laughs) So even though it's a put on by Boimler to make Boimler feel like, or by Mariner to make Boimler feel heroic by besting, like figuring out that Ferengi's trying to trick them. uh, It's still like he's... causes him to divulge all of his suspicions and prejudices against the like, Ferengi, right even though the yep. Ferengi is being a total Ferengi caricature, uh, which was which was funny. It's enjoyable. And I like and at the end when twist. it's a, it's an okay twist because of it, all the racism. At least to me it's an okay it's only okay. I mean it's so funny because it's just like like structurally like I mean we've seen the first couple seasons of Picard like there's been some things that like in writing recently in Star Trek that I've been like this is really rough um but you are opening my eyes to the Ferengi (laughs) racism the Klingon racism all those things these are but see this is how you know this is how Lord X becomes even more accepted as part of the Star Trek family they're continuing traditions that extend I mean they are and that's that it's you're kind of opening my eyes to some of this and that's i find that fascinating and i wonder if they will address that on the show at some point because i feel like they probably will but i don't know it uh, that's a really cool yeah maybe that's an off off mic thing for me to say like because they seem very like with caves and criticizing monoculture like how star trek would do monocultures that i think i remember reading interviews like that i'm like they'll they'll attack the meta of the the meta narrative of the show but they they're not really actually, exa- I don't know. Anyway, uh, but I did like the twist at the end too, in that I love that he's wearing a monocle to like suggest he's like a serious actor. <laughs> the, the ring, that was great. He's, how- he's like one of the like Picard yeah. crew. <laughs> That's right. Um, he, 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 was, uh, he was playing, I don't know, yeah. Malvolio. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, it that, that was hilarious to just indicate that like, oh no, he's a good sport. <laughs> yeah, he's going to beam off and warp to the globe theater right after this exactly. 100%. <laughs> and then uh, we can't let the let any episode escape without hanging this uh terrible trek trope one of the worst trek tropes ever in the history of the franchise and it's all pretty mm-hmm. recent but captain freeman in the corridor in the cold open she's working out her new go to warp catchphrase God, that's and right. kristen oh, and, and i are so... very staunchly believe believe that that is hack shit 
that's some tired, that's some terrible, awful shit. It actually, yeah. this is the one context where it's kind of fine. I actually don't mind that Captain Freeman, like that's like a, cause later on, she does it later, right? That's in like right. one of the next two episodes where the, like, that gets expanded out. I think for, as a joke runner for a, a comedy series, like Lower Decks makes sense, but it's for, also for strange, but for strange new worlds, it gets repetitive and not quite as good. The Picard yeah, no, and, yeah, and we've Discovery. Been seeing, like we've been seeing stupid. a lot of that lately. And I, I wonder if that's just like a joke that a lot of people have said and they wanted to make it their own within their own show. You know, it's, I, the, I, it's I, the office meme of corporate wants you to identify which yeah, one of these is different. The same thing. It's inverted. It's like corporate says you have to do these two things. And then it's like, it's the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> like this no, seems it, like it's it, a it secret is. hideout joke where Alex Kurtzman is like, it pleases me <laughs> when the jesters say this, make right. them do it <laughs> across and, the And shows. you know what? Much like that, that 30 Rock joke that they did where <laughs> they they said something like, about like, I don't know, like Verizon or T-Mobile in the show. <laughs> and then that, at, at the end of it, they look right at camera. They're like, can we have our money now? Um, it, that's what it sort of feels like. That joke feels like, like, what's your catchphrase when we have to go? And it's like, well, you don't it, like as a Star Trek friend, you don't really notice that until someone points it out. And you're like, oh, yeah, I guess everybody has their own little thing or whatever. They but but they, don't, I, they don't like some people say engage. Like say it engage like they both do. So it's just. You know, it's whatever. And I feel like it's like we're really trying to retcon some like catchphrases for making the ship go. But we don't need it, essentially. But also catchphrases like get cacked. And he's a catchphrase is so like I, 80s yeah. hack TV of like, that's how they know the show. And it's like, that's, ah, that's what we can put it. on all the merchandising. Yes, right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Now it's time for the line must be drawn. Yeah. Great lines. <laughs> Well, I already said the Blast Shield song. That's that's amazing. Yeah, that was definitely on my list. Um, okay, so we're going right back to it. But Ransom <laughs> says, in thousands of simulations, that's literally never happened before. Let's try another one on a ship with even more children. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, it's from the iconic scene where Rutherford is going through the French crew. <laughs> test oh god that thing killed me so in his storyline i thought there was another pretty funny joke that he actually got it's when he's in sick bay and she's like you're doing a good job with that uh whatever endocrine system he's like it's not so different from engineering the heart's an engine the brain's a computer the eyes are a different kind of computer no cameras eyes are cameras camera eyes yes Yes. also really good delivery very eugene cordero no (laughs) <laughs> thanks uh let's see i did like when um mariner says something about like oh i did that back in the day and i love the way jack quaid delivers the line we're like the same age back Wait, in what yeah. day <laughs> yes 100 yes. percent that line i completely forgot about that <laughs> and corinne's follow-up as they're like walking off camera he says i must update you on my many sexual conquests mariner and then <laughs> yes. she says what all two of them i that was great I was like, <laughs> oh they just like that's a line they other. couldn't say in like the Deep Space Nine Voyager Next Generation days, they wouldn't have thought right. to do that because they were classier, sexless people who made Star Trek. But, <laughs> you know, there was a version like Enterprise era, like you could, as it got when looser, I'll, 
when You're a lot the of their uniforms kind of made them look like Ken dolls. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, Voyager. Some of the Maquis could have said some stuff like that and they never did it. So. Oh, a hundred percent. hundred percent. So I, I got to read the, the, the Boimler. Do, do you have any more green lines? Oh yeah. <laughs> okay. So it's uh Boimler and Mariner talking about, um, I've never even heard of an on a job. How do you know? How, how did you know? Affinity for, affinity for red drawn to the weak minded plus I kind of dated one once but only to make my mom mad <laughs> and then mm-hmm. weak minded <laughs> <laughs> I should just study bugs on a far off planet and then eventually get eaten and no one will even know until they stumble across my distress call but it'll be way too late and then they'll have to spend a bunch of time deciphering how things went wrong based on my final shaky video logs <laughs> And then Mandra says, I'm sure you wouldn't get eaten. (laughs) Just trying to cheer him up as fast as possible. Oh, yeah. No, it's so good. And it's so tropey, but it's so perfect. Yeah. Uh, Now it's time for the line must be drawn there. Great art. Um, This one, I didn't even know what to do with other than all the blood and it it just goes back to that test with the test is great i i just focused on the l cars display of the destroyed kindergarten and all the little uh-huh. little dots that were supposed to represent all the kids floating kids. off in the space oh my god it's just so good <laughs> Uh, but I also did like the establishing shot of the city that they go to. There's like an obelisk oh, yeah. in the town square. Uh-huh. Uh, the, the vibe, it's giving Trek in that shot. <laughs> so I, I appreciated it. It is. Uh, and that's another one that like you got to see a little bit more of all the different areas of uh, this like city. And, and I don't know. That's something that you don't necessarily get in a live action because you can go from one landscape to another. This show is funny, though, in that I'm sure it's because there's a lot of the same people. But, you know, when it's Star Trek aliens that have an established look, they look like drawn versions of those. When it's just their own random aliens, it looks like solar opposites or Rick and Morty. Yeah, it's a little no, it silly. does. I mean, the spider uh, for sure in the first episode, you know, the farmers. Yes. Uh-huh. And then the the teenage tough, tall monster they run into. Oh, um, that's right. <laughs> What part of this will he teach at Starfleet Academy? <laughs> you just you mentioned that the uh, the teenager alien, the, the dude who he gets his coin purse stolen. Yes. He's like, man, my dad's gonna be so mad at me. <laughs> um, so what's gonna be taught about that is uh, how currency is bigger for other cultures. Um, those who use it um, and not necessarily for Starfleet and how to be a little bit more wary of stealing somebody's lunch money. <laughs> I, I mean, they're still teaching at Starfleet Academy. Boimler's not that fresh out of the Academy, but still pretty recent, right? Uh, yeah. Th- he, they're still teaching that the Ferengi are the most untrustworthy race <laughs> in the galaxy. Some I racist know. shit. And like, and this is around Deep Space Nine, and there is a like a prominent like. It's Ferengi. post Deep Space Nine. Oh yeah, okay. So <laughs> the Ferengi are are were helpful in the whole in Dominion this. thing early yeah. in the conflict. <laughs> they have a they have a friend of the Federation sitting on the throne now of yes. of the Ferengi people, and this is still how they treat them. Now the person. <laughs> 
Rom's the ki- like he's on the throne now, right? He's the Grand Nagus. I think so, and I but that well, I guess that's why because I thought this was like really close to next gen where Ferengi was still kind of you know hand wringing um, people. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I don't know There's, what else to say, but like suddenly I'm like I'm gonna be starting some racist stuff. Yeah, time to go to racism <laughs> class at Starfleet no. Academy. <laughs> Tony Newsom's like, we better that's make it. sure that there's a racism course that the that the students are taking in our new show. Hundred <laughs> percent. All right, Katie. So then that leaves the question: Trek, marry, or kill envoys? Okay, so this one was more of a trek than the previous one because this this kind of solidified my love of this show. Um, still not a Mary. Uh, there are several Marys in this series, but this would be a trek for me for sure. I agree. This is a very strong trek for me. Um, there just there's definitely just nothing in there that makes you go, oh, it's just like here it is, straight down the middle, and I like. The fact that they were like, they took two starch. First, first of all, Rutherford's storyline is a perfect marriage of comedy, like sitcom writing with the the three beats or four beats of his story. And then the okay. Star Trek part of it. And then the Boimler stuff, like it's all based, it's all grounded in character. That whole conflict, that whole sequence is based nothing on the tension between, other than the tension between Boimler and Mariner, which you know, Rick and Morty does that sometimes like they did it in the Star Trek way. It really stands out. But again, there's this. Was, if this was done in live action, this would have been like a really good episode of the live action ones. Even then, you know what I mean? Yeah. It wouldn't necessarily be like a Mary as well, but very right. promising. I think we said in all of our pilot episodes that sometimes and actually most times the second episode is actually harder to do than the pilot. I don't know mm. if you've heard that in writing because, yeah. you know, there's the there's the premise when you used to do 22, 26 episodes that your first four episodes would basically be the pilot. You do the pilot and then do it three more times because you're trying to get set it up for the audience and not everyone watches at the same time. But when right. you have 10, you really do have to hit their ground running. And so just already seeing from episode one, to episode two, it's like they really they really found um, some good stories to mine and yeah. do what they're trying to do. So, yeah, they hit the ground running out on this one. All right, so next month we're going to be back. We're going to do the episodes three and four. I've I've drafted Katie into this Trek, Mary Kill army. I'm, I'm very excited to have you on for more episodes. Is there anything you want people to check out here in 2024? Here Beyond in 20- Trek, Mary Kill. <laughs> Beyond Trek, Mary Kill, you can always find me at El Sassy Pants, E-L-S-A-S-S-Y-P-A-N-T-S, sometimes with a Z if you're on TikTok. Um... You can always check me out if you're in the LA area. I am with a group called Nothing Burger Improv, and we do shows at the Pack Theater every first and third Wednesday of the month. So check me out there at the Pack Theater. Uh, otherwise, you can just hang out with me online. I'm always out there. I am considering restarting my Twitch channel pretty soon here uh, because Fortnite is kind of fun again. So Okay. Are you playing the Kid Cuddy? Uh, Star Trek character. <laughs> <laughs> Not my quite only yet. <laughs> oh man! But if they had a kid cutty Star Trek character in Fortnite, I would. Don't totally they? Is it? I thought they did. I, oh, all right. I all right. think they have Kid Cuddy, and I think they may have some. I actually don't think they have any Star Trek characters. 
I'm going to have to double check on that, but I don't think they do. I'm not trying to, to, I'm not trying to catch you. I promise. So I get you. Uh, like, this gotcha <laughs> podcast, man, yeah, exactly. every time. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're at trekmarykillpod.com. You can check there for all the standings, uh, trekmarykpod on some social medias, but as I'm sure you all witnessed last year, it's sporadic. So check out the website for any news and summaries and drop us a rating if you're so inclined. We'll be back next month with our animation spotlight. Uh, until then, TMK out. TMK out.